Biden cut 70,000 jobs his first day in office. The Democrats beginning to reveal their pernicious agenda and a reveal of the police state coming down the pike for anyone that disagrees with the Democrat machine on today's episode of The Federal's Files. A letter note, uh, will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color scheme change? This is such a good question. I have not had the opportunity to dig into that today, um, given the number of executive actions, orders, the inauguration, a few things happening. Um, I will venture to get you an answer on that. And maybe, As you all know, Joe Biden is now uh, the new president of the United States. Uh, his administration that they're speaking, that is Jen Psaki. She is the press secretary. She also worked as a press secretary under the... Uh, the State Department, when Clinton was there as the Secretary of State during the Obama administration, you go, are going to be seeing a lot of her as long as she's in the position because she generally is the one speaking for the administration to the press, just like Kaylee McEnany in the last administration. So you'll see a lot of her. Uh, now, that is the media. This is get used to these softball questions from the media. Uh, the question, if you didn't hear it, was is President Biden going to keep the same color scheme on Air Force One? And she said, oh, it's a very important question. So this is, it seems like they recycle the same names. This is a person that was in D.C. for a while. And as you've seen, the the Biden administration has a lot of recycled names in it as well. Pete Buttigieg, you got, what's his name? Um, John Kerry. I think he also has some, the other one, I forgot her name. But she was the one partially uh, responsible for Benghazi. So you're going to see a lot of recycled names. You're going to see a lot of media fawning in, in this in this episode, I'm going to have a couple different media questions being directed at Saki, uh, Jen Saki, and it's just she is the one answering for the Biden administration. Now that is the uh, the media hypocrisy, and here is actually, and I think this is a Fox News reporter holding her feet to the fire, asking her questions about the very first day in the administration for Joe Biden with his executive order of making people wear masks on federal ground. Play clip six. Why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden family masked at all times on federal lands last night if he signed an executive order that mandates masks on federal lands at all times? At the inaugural... At the uh, memorial, yes. I, I think, Steve, he was celebrating uh, an evening uh, of a historic day in our country, and certainly he signed the mask mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know here, in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves, as, as we do every single day, but I don't know that I have more for you on it than that. You're going to see more of that. The answers that she gives are very broad, very vague throughout all these videos, uh, generally ending with, oh, I can check back up with you. Uh, I'm going to talk to the administration about this. I don't really know. Uh, pretty much pointing, not blame, but pointing responsibility to other members, which is generally what a press secretary does. Now, this one in particular, Biden goes out with his family right after signing the mask mandate on federal properties, taking pictures at the Lincoln Memorial with his family with no masks on. It's just the, the hypocrisy. Here's the thing. I'm not the mask police. I don't really, to be honest with you, conservatives never really cared about wearing the mask to begin with because we thought it was an infringement on our freedoms. So I'm not going to sit here and play mask police. But what I will do is I'll play the hypocritical police because that's exactly what it is. It's hypocritical to pass a law telling everybody how important it is to wear a mask and then walk around with your family like it is it is laws for thee but not for me 
Now, I have Ted Cruz. He makes a statement here. And I'm going to start off by going through the uh, the 70,000 jobs that have been cut on the first day in office for for Biden. We're looking at a lot of very um, very economically unwise decisions that are going to be made in the future, I think. And a lot of proposals that seem like they're not only economically unwise, but also... Uh, you know, not antithetical to our liberty as citizens here. So, uh, this is straight off of Ted Cruz's site. It is a statement, and he explains. He really just rips them up and down. He he starts off here. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but certain parts. He states, if the Biden administration believes that rejoining the agreement is something the American people should support, then he should submit the Paris Climate Agreement to the Senate as a treaty and let the people decide through their elected representatives. Uh, but he knows that it would fail. So like his Democratic predecessor, President Biden is governing by executive fiat. Without the Paris Climate Agreement, the United States has led the world in emission reductions. Likewise, the United States over the last 50 years has dramatically reduced the levels of some of the most harmful pollutants and improved the air quality for all Americans, while at the same time helping more people get better paying jobs and improving their lives. Rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement will do little to affect the climate and will harm the livelihoods of everyday Americans all across the country. I'll continue working with my colleagues to fight for blue-collar workers and to defend America's energy independence, end quote. So interestingly enough, what we're looking at is uh, the Democrat Party is not the party now of the blue-collar workers. It is the party of the rich, the rich libs, and uh, criminals of Antifa and BLM. <laughs> uh, we are now standing up, and the, the Republican Party is now standing up for blue-collar minimum wage, war, I mean uh, middle-class workers, whereas it used to be considered the party of, of the rich, and the Democrat Party used to be the party of the working class. Uh, so, he is correct. I've explained this, what he did with this pipeline, shutting down the pipeline, the Paris Climate Agreement. What what Ted Cruz wants is he wants it to go up to Congress for an actual legitimate vote so we can set a precedent on whether the American people actually agree with what the Biden administration is proposing here instead of going through executive fiat, which is legitimate. And this is something that Ted Cruz actually asked Donald Trump for, and Donald Trump didn't. In, uh, it says in December 2020, Senator Cruz urged the Trump administration to submit both the Iran nuclear deal and the Paris Climate Agreement to the Senate as formal treaties. Thus, because, you know, Ted, Ted Cruz is the uh, the lawyer. He knows that once they get shot down, then it sets the precedent that the American people do not want this. Which he's right. I mean, the American people, I don't, I don't think generally are too happy about this decision, just cutting jobs out. And I read, I've been reading some analysis about this. And according to some analysis that Ted Cruz cites, it's by the Heritage Foundation. I think it was in 2017. Uh, as always, everything that I'm referring to will be in the show notes. This is in the show notes. Uh, if you click on Ted Cruz's site, you're going to see it under the analysis tab. There's a hyperlink that you can click, click and then you can check out the entire uh, Heritage Foundation study that he, that they did. And it states the regulations necessary to meet the original commitments under the Paris Climate Agreement would result in the loss of 400,000 American manufacturing jobs and would cost families of four $20,000 of lost income over, the, over a nearly 20-year period. This estimate is based on former President Obama's commitments upon rejoining the agreement. President Biden will submit his own commitments 
which are expected to be even more extreme than his Democratic predecessor. So that's based on the old agreement that, that President Barack Obama had in his old administration. So we're looking at a loss of the 20 years, we're looking at a loss of 400,000 manufacturing jobs in America, as well as a loss of income in each individual family of 20,000. The loss of income will be because they're going to have to pay more into into gas prices, oil, other products. Like I said, there's a lot of products to laminate on this on this pocket constitution is oil. There's a lot of oil-based. Anything made of plastic is oil-based as well. Uh, detergents is oil-based. Whether it's a laundry detergent or detergent for your uh, for your dishwasher, there's a lot of things that are oil-based. Uh, so we're looking at a loss of jobs. And then I was also reading another economic estimate, and they're estimating from 20 to 42 percent more carbon emissions will be uh, put into the air because we're going to have to have freight liners sending the oil to us in America because we will not have the oil accessible here because they just shut down that pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline. And the only reason that the federal government can even do that is because from going to, because it's coming from Canada, the pipeline coming from Canada over uh, the, the, the border from Canada to the United States is actually federal. T technically, it's like a federal property, so it's of their jurisdiction. And that's the only reason that they can even shut down the pipeline to begin with. Uh, now, Canada Canada is not happy about this. They're pretty angry about it. Justin Trudeau was complaining. He's a big-time lib, which makes it even more interesting. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to end up paying now. We're going to cause more global emissions by getting the, the oil from overseas. Because oil is not only used in our cars in gasoline, but it's also used in almost every single commodity product that's out there on the market right now. I'm sure that oil is used in some facet in creating this computer that I'm podcasting off of and the camera that I'm looking at right now directly, as well as my microphone that's made out of many plastic parts. Uh, so yeah, we're looking at we're going to be paying more for the product of oil. We're going to have to be reliant on countries like Russia as well as Iran in the Middle East. And we're going to get ourselves involved in more wars in the Middle East because of this. And we're, and we're also going to be causing more global emissions because we're, because emissions because we're now paying for the freight liners to get here. And that takes gas for them to get here. Yeah, so the Biden, I have another article here from the Daily Caller. Biden administration halts new oil and gas permits by Brianna Lyman. And it states, the Biden administration announced a temporary 60-day suspension for new oil, gas, leasing, and drilling permits for U.S. land and water on Thursday in a bid to reverse Trump-era environmental policies. And I'm going to tell you, there's there's so many policies right now that he's revoking or he's pulling back now and he's going forward with his own deal. Uh, Biden has vowed to reverse climate-related policies implemented under his predecessor months after taking office. President Donald Trump's administration signed a secretarial order to speed up the permit process that authorized gas and oil development on federal land. The order was meant to resolve a backlog of more than 2,800 applications for permit to drill, fix the permitting process that took roughly 8.6 times longer than federal statute required, and improve mineral companies' uh, access to resource-rich areas. So essentially, he, he wanted to approve, he wanted to deregulate, approve more uh, permits to drill. Now, in doing this, we're just lowering the price of oil is going to make all products, almost every single commodity, 
cheaper. Even even food, because to get the food from one place to another takes gas. It takes a, a freight line or it takes a truck, and it, it takes some sort of gas to get it from one point to another. So that, in essence, that also lowers. And then also to crop, to field the crop, it takes machines, and those machines also require oil, uh, gasoline to run. So so, oil is almost like the lifeblood of, of a economy. It can really uh, make or break your economy. If you have no oil, your economy essentially cannot run. That's why number one, one of the biggest priorities in the Trump administration was to make sure that we were energy independent. And, th- and that seems like it is going to be uh, taken away from us here. So Biden kills, I have another article, this is from Breitbart.com by Joel Pollack. Uh, Biden kills up to 70,000 jobs on his first day in office. So President Joe Biden's first day in office may have been historic in more ways than one. He may have set a single-day record for the number of jobs killed by an American president. Biden revoked the permit of the Keystone XL pipeline, as promised. In doing so, he killed some 11,000 direct jobs that the pipeline's construction was to have created and an estimated 60,000 indirect jobs in secondary-related industries. So that would be a combination of 70,000. It's just, to, to me, it just does not, none of this even makes sense. This is just a political move to cowtail to the extreme far left, like climate change changers that are really worried about the um, the environment, which I don't blame them for worrying about the environment, climate change. Uh, there is there is some statistics, statistical analysis that supports that the, the globe is somewhat warming to an extent. Now, how much it's warming or how much it is projected to warm over the next uh, hundred years is not much. It's maybe like one or two degrees Fahrenheit if we continue on the path that we're at. And considering that the United States is becoming much more efficient by their se- themselves without the pi- Paris Climate Agreement, I think we cut down our emissions like 8% over the last four years and just being more efficient because we are a... Um, we are a free market economy that continues to innovate so we found found much more carbon friendly ways to uh to use gasoline and use oil but now what we're going to do is we're going to ship all this from other countries that don't use those same efficient ways so who knows the way in which they're producing the oil is going to be much more damaging to the environment than the way we were going to be doing it. That's why I think that this is a nonsensical, there's nothing to be defended here. I don't know if if this could be defended by anyone in the media. I can't see it being defended. Just because if you look all around and you see, it's just, it is non, it is impractical to ask everybody to completely shut down the usage of oil. Now, if you want to make some sort of incremental changes, that's what he should have done instead of shutting down an entire pipeline. Now, Senator Ted Cruz confronted Secretary of Transportation nominee Pete Buttigieg. So he is the Secretary of Transportation. I don't actually know if he's been voted in yet through the cabinet, through the Senate. Uh, I think this was the committee when they were going to vote him in. He was asking about the Keystone XL decision on Thursday morning during Buttigieg's confirmation hearing. Uh, If the administration was serious about infrastructure, Cruz asked, why was it killing an infrastructure project with good-paying union jobs? Because that's something that Joe Biden ran on, good-paying union. I'm going to have good-paying union jobs. He said that over and over again. Now, when Buttigieg said the answer, or the idea was that net jobs created in more climate-friendly uh, industries would be positive, Cruz retorted that, that 
was little comfort to the Keystone XL workers who were being laid off. So for those workers, the answer is somebody else will get a job, question mark. So that's what he asked him. Now, this is I'm going to push back on what Buttigieg said because what he's saying is we're going to have millions of jobs created by cutting down this pipeline. Okay, that sounds good. So here's the thing. We have yet to find an electrical system or a clean, what they define as clean, with the exception of nuclear power, which nobody wants on the on the far left side that believes in um, that believes in clean energy. They don't, they do not believe in the alternative of nuclear energy at all. That is the that is the cleanest and most efficient way to do it. But they don't believe in that. So we're going to completely throw nuclear energy off the board. I think I think France actually runs like their entire power grid on nuclear energy, but we're going to throw that off the board. So all we have is wind and solar. Those are the two big ones. He's claiming that there's going to be millions of jobs created by wind and solar, which could be correct because the amount of the yield of energy that we get from wind and solar is nowhere near. It is infinitesimally smaller than what we get from oil, from the compound of oil, the chemical compound. Uh and because of that, we may actually need to hire millions and millions of people, and the yield will be much lower because it's less effective. The efficacy is nowhere near what you get from oil. Because of that, yes, maybe we'll, we will need millions of jobs. And who is going to pay for that? Because then that means the people, just to pay for the energy infrastructure, it will be astronomical costs if it is not the same yield as gasoline or oil. That's, that is what the question, okay, so there's millions, great, millions of jobs, who's paying for those jobs, how are we going to pay for them, we're going to pay for them, what we're going to have is the government is going to restrict oil, there's going to be a prohibition of oil, and we're only going to do wind and solar energy, and we're going to create millions of jobs because the yield is so low from that energy that we're going to have to create more and more wind windmills, and we're going to have to create more and more solar panels, and then you also have to remember those windmills are actually extremely loud, you really can't put any housing developments near them, and uh, as well as the solar power takes up a lot of land too. Now you also have to remember, how are we transporting the energy? Oil is in a liquid form. We can we can transport gasoline from one place to another on a tanker. How are we going to transport the energy uh, that it takes if we the solar panels, the wind cr- collects the energy? Where are we storing it? Are we storing it in some sort of battery and then we're driving it across the country? How are we going to drive it across the country? Are we also using an electrical battery to now power the truck to get the electrical power from one place to another? How are we exactly doing this? And then also to begin with, like I said before, the yield is much lower. I just think it's such an impractical thing to say. And I think that's where Ted Cruz, I, I know Ted Cruz probably didn't have the time to really question him on it. But it is, is extremely impractical, and then we're going to pay millions and millions of dollars or millions of people and create millions of jobs that I can't imagine them being, if, if you want the people to have some sort of uh, at least reasonable pricing to their electrical power or their new power source that they call this, I can't see these jobs being good paying jobs. And I also can't see it being a reasonable rate for people right now as the technology stands. So... Next, what I have is I have a uh, another question that's that is asked of uh, Jen Saki. They ask her about DC statehood, which surprisingly she's very honest with her answer. Uh, play clip two. 
Also, um, D.C. statehood was an issue that was raised in a previous briefing. Sure. Um, the president has uh, supported D.C. statehood in the past. Um, that certainly remains his position, but uh, I don't have anything for you on the timeline or next steps there. So D.C. statehood as well as Puerto Rico as a state is going to be the new power push for the Democrat Party. It's how they're going to gain more Senate votes right now. D.C., they have their House of Representative votes for how many people live in the area, but they do not have Senate votes because they're not recognized as a state in the union. Now, if it is, is it really constitutional to make D.C. a state? I don't really know if it actually is. Alan Dershowitz would probably better know the answer just because it's supposed to be its own federal head. So then it's kind of weird also making it a state as well. It just does not make any sense because that's supposed to be the power of the union there. The union cannot also be a state. It doesn't really, it doesn't really make any sense. But this is just another way the Democrats try to gain power because they know that D.C. in and of itself voted about 93% Democrat in the last election. And now they're going to have to abolish the filibuster the filibuster you're going to need 60 percent vote in the senate so they may be able to approve uh because there is distinctly nothing in the constitution that says a certain percentage of the house of reps and the senators have to agree like it is with an amendment to the constitution but that's the thing is that it actually might need an amendment to the constitution because in the constitution it gives a distinction of where the federal government is supposed to be and how that's supposed to be like of the federal power. So they may need one, but if, let's say they don't. In the case that they do not need a uh, an amendment to the Constitution, it would have to be the filibuster. It would have to be 60% of the vote in the Senate. So what they're going to have to do, and you're going to see a push towards this in the future, and hopefully we, we stand strong in the Senate, or the, uh, the Republican Party stands strong in the Senate. What we're going to see is an attempt to eradicate the the filibuster which like i said you would require 60 percent of the votes in senate to uh to eradicate it to begin with which would make it now if you eradicate the filibuster then all you need is a majority vote which right now the democrats have a very 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 slim majority but then at the same time there's a lot of republicans that are kind of rhinos like a mitt romney who will totally vote on the other side and turn on the republican party anyway and uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to see what's going to transpire over these next couple months. We're going to see how far left the agenda is. So far from what I've been reading and what I'm going to report to you now, it seems like they are pretty far left. They are exactly what they were talking about. At least there's rumblings of it. There's some legislation being written up right now as we speak. Uh, so, so another one that I have here is I have a new tax on number of miles you drive. Incoming Transportation Secretary Buttigieg likes the idea so just mentioning Buttigieg before this is written by Nicholas Balassi it is a just a news piece and here he's going to go into taxing you on miles that you drive now during Buttigieg's confirmation hearing in the Senate Commerce Science and Transportation Committee on Thursday in Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott asked him if he would support Oh, the Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott asked him if he would support increasing the federal gas tax, which is currently charged to drivers in addition to state gas taxes. The federal gas and diesel tax is the primary source of funding for the Federal Highway Trust Fund. Federal Highway Trust Fund pays for the rebuilding of uh, federal highways, essentially. Uh, and, and this is what Buttigieg replies with, and I quote, I think all options need to be on the table. As you know, the federal gas tax has not been increased since 1993, and it has never been pegged to inflation. 
And it's one of the reasons why the current state of highway trust fund is that there's more going out than coming in. Uh, in the long term, we need to bear in mind also that as vehicles become more efficient and as we pursue electrification sooner or later, there will be questions about whether the gas tax can be effective at all, <laughs> end quote. So what he's going to employ here uh, is is the, the mileage tax because the gas tax now is not good enough. So I'm not in favor of more taxes at all. Uh, I think that many conservatives agree on this front. I think even a lot of liberals probably agree on this front. Some of them, they may not realize it, but they, they actually do. Uh, now, Buttigieg said tying the gas tax to inflation as well as the VMT, which is going to be the system that they're going to use for vehicle miles traveled. That's what VMT stands for would be considered under the Obama administration or the Biden administration. Sorry, Freudian slip there. Uh, he stated, and I quote, a lot has been suggested recently about the idea of vehicle miles travel based. So if we're uh, committed to the idea of user pays, then part of how you might do that would be based on vehicle miles traveled. He said, but that raises, of course, concerns about privacy, and there remains some technological questions, too. These are examples of some of the things that could be part of the solution, but I know that's going to have to be a conversation not only in the administration but with Congress, too, end quote. So my guess would be they would run this through the registration program in your individual state. So in New Jersey, for example, I think every single year every two years you have to get your vehicle registered and you have to pay a certain fee depending on how big your vehicle is and once you pay that fee then you would have to probably record how many miles you now have on your car and then they're gonna say oh well you drove you drove this many miles this year so we're gonna tax you on top of what you're already doing and then i think he was also making a very weird drawing a weird comparison saying because then at this point if you're going to tax the way i look at it is you're going to just tax miles instead of doing the gas tax, then everyone's going to buy giant gas guzzling cars. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't do anything for your carbon emissions that you're so worried about. Everyone will buy the gas guzzler because at this point, if you're going to tax for your mile driving, no one's even worried about the gas tax anymore because now you're not employing a gas tax because you're worried about electrification in the system. It's just another tax, just another way that the, the government just robs you, really, of your money. And they're talking about, oh, well, it hasn't been accounted to inflation. Oh, yeah, well, a lot of people have not had their raises accounted to inflation either this year. So so what's that supposed to mean? That's a, Is that how, how taxes work? Oh, well, inflation hasn't really, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been reevaluated with, with the inflation. So we're just going to raise the taxes again. It's amazing. So, so next I have Fauci. And this is a uh, report that came out, CNN report. He contradicts the CNN report saying that Biden's vaccine distribution not starting from scratch. So the, recently there was this CNN report coming and it's, and it's antithetical because Biden appointed the guy from the last administration that was in charge of a lot of this stuff and the vaccine distribution and in the system, he's involved in a lot of this. So to come out at CNN and say the last administration didn't do anything, that's pretty much saying the guy that is currently in the position didn't do anything, which is which is incorrect to begin with. And then it also makes Fauci look really bad. So they kind of shoot themselves in the foot, which isn't surprising. You're going to see a lot of dopey moves from this administration as things transpire over these next couple of years. You're going to see a lot of Democrats kind of shooting themselves or trip, tripping over themselves and falling flat on their face. And this is an Epic Times article. It's written by Isabel Van Bruggen, 
Uh, Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, debunked a CNN report that was published hours earlier citing unnamed Biden administration officials claiming there is nothing for us to rework. We are going to have to rebuild everything from scratch. Now, that is what the the unnamed Biden administration official claims. Who even knows if that's even a real person? It's like it's pretty much like saying an anonymous source, which CNN comes out with all of the time. So he, who even knows if it's a real person? There was a lot of those coming out during the Trump administration, and then they would never come to fruition. Now, the report by CNN's White House correspondent MJ Lee cited unnamed source that alleged that the Biden administration would have to start its COVID-19 vaccine rollout from square one. Hillary Clinton responded to the report allegations on Twitter, calling the claims appalling but not surprising, as as she would. So here's a, here's a clip of what Fauci had to say when the media asked him about this question. Uh, play clip seven. We certainly are not starting from scratch because there is activity going on in the distribution. But if you look at the plan that the president has put forth about the things that he is going to do, namely get community vaccine centers up, get pharmacies more involved, where appropriate, get the Defense Production Act involved, not only perhaps with getting more vaccine, but even the things you need to get a good vaccine program. Well, the Defense Production Act, that looks like a move that Trump did already. Uh, what, what you're going to see now, the rollout of some of these COVID-19 vaccines, you're going to see a complete shift of the narrative now that it is a Biden administration. If you notice, Joe Biden, he came out and said, we're going to be doing 100 million uh, vaccines over the next 100 days. Now, at this point, before the Biden administration took over, Trump administration, they were overseeing about a million every single day of vaccinations, thus on track to make it 100 million vaccinations over 100 days so he's not really changing anything it sounds like the exact same plan that was going on before it's just that people were not aware of what actually was going on before because the media was so dishonest and if you've noticed if you turn on cnn i've seen it in the last couple days maybe they might have it back up but the the covid ticker is now suddenly gone in the middle of all of this, while, while Antifa is actually also rioting in Portland, we're not seeing that on CNN either. They're not reporting that. And they're also now not reporting COVID-19 deaths. And now they're kind of covering up. They're making excuses, but at the same time, they're kind of praising the new administration too and the moves that they're making. So it is a little weird seeing these sycophants from the media just sitting there cheering on the, the Biden administration, which is not a good sight to see from any media class. You don't want to see any media fawning over an administration. And what I've also seen is, I want to mention this too, is Amazon had a letter that they sent to the Biden administration and uh, I have two different articles. I'm going to leave them both up in the show notes so you can read them yourselves. Uh, they sent, they let the Biden administration know that they're ready to help them if if it's needed. They offered their distribution services considering they have about 800,000 employees and they see one of the biggest distribution apparatuses other than maybe uh, the United States Postal Service in the entire country to help distribute the vaccine. And then they came back because they got some publicity because of that because they didn't do it for the past administration and uh then they said oh well we did and then they released the letter and the letter to the trump administration is nowhere near 
<laughs> what it it's 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 nowhere near as accommodating as the one from the Biden administration. The one from the to the Trump administration was just thanking them for their work, saying we have guys that work diligently and we're going to help you guys as much as we can. But it doesn't distinctly or specifically state in specific terms. Hey, if you need any help, let us know. We're willing to do whatever you you know we can to help out. Which once again does not surprise anything. If you don't remember Pfizer or. Yes, Pfizer came the day after the election came out and said that they came out with a vaccine. Of course, of course, that that passed the uh, the testing period and it's all good to go, which doesn't. So once again, none of this surprises me. It seems like everything kind of falls into place when Democrats get power, and then if anything goes wrong, we're going to see the media cover up for the Democrat Party in this one and blame. The last administration, they're already playing it up like the economy is so bad. It's never been this bad since the Great Depression. And we're looking at, and if something, you know, if it continues, then we have one person to blame, really. And then I think even, I even have a clip of, uh, they're, they're essentially setting him up in case if Biden fails. They're setting him up for failure to blame on Donald Trump in the last administration. Now this is, and, and to begin with, all these issues could have easily been resolved if these individual states, especially the Democrat states, didn't completely shut down their states. And that's why we are even in an economic crisis right now. At this point, the spending is blown out. Uh, so so here's a clip of what Biden is saying he can do about the pandemic. Play clip six. If we fail to act, there will be a wave of evictions and foreclosures in the coming months uh, as this pandemic rages on. Because there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. I do not actually know if that was a gaffe or if he's telling the truth. I'm not really sure. You're going to see more and more gaffes. I saw one. I don't know exactly how true it is, but I saw Biden walking into the, I guess it was the White House, and there was Marines at each door, and he said salute the Marines as he walked by them. What people are saying is the theory is that Biden has some sort of earpiece in, and, he, and there's someone telling him at every step of the way what to do and what to say, and what they were doing, they were telling him to salute the Marines but he would repeat it out loud because he's having somebody feed him information to say out loud. Who knows how true that is. But in this one, he's saying there's nothing that we could do about the pandemic and whatever course it takes, it takes at this point. Which before that is so counter-narrative to what was going on before when the Trump administration was in there and it was, it was oh, he's doing so many things wrong, there's so much he can do, and then new administration comes in and it seems like they're doing the exact same thing that the old administration did because they realized that this is a virus that is in aerosols and there's nothing that they really can do it is outside of their purview there's not much you can do at this point it's almost uncontrollable so next what i have is i have and speaking of uh speaking of pandemics or sicknesses i got biden stops trump order to slash price of insulin and EpiPens. this is written by amanda uh, prestigiacomo from daily wire and this is going to go into, and this is something that people didn't really actually know about the reformation of our health system under the Trump administration. He was going with a lot of executive orders. He was, I think it was in December, he pushed an executive order to make it so when you go to get some sort of procedure at a doctor, they have to have honest pricing. They have to tell you there's price. He called it price transparency. And I remember Trump touting the Republican Party is going to be the party of of uh, healthcare, you'll see in the next couple of years, which which everybody that is conservative does not want the government in the healthcare industry at all, to begin with. But uh, to me, fair pricing in the in the market and giving a transparent price to me isn't something that's really that unreasonable. Uh, 
as a government policy. That's something that should be kind of consensus. You should know before. It is the only, uh, the way I look at it is the health industry is the only industry where you go and you don't, you get a procedure done not knowing how much it's going to cost when you go anywhere. When you go to, even when you get work done on your car, you have a general estimate estimation of how much it's going to be when you go to buy food there's pricing right there you know how much it's going to cost you when you go for healthcare, it's the only thing where there is they're not telling you what the price is so price transparency is something that i would i would think is pretty fair in that market so this one begins uh president joe biden's united states department of health and human services on thursday stopped executive orders from his predecessor designed to significantly lower prescription drug prices for americans including insulin and epinephrine the new administration will apparently reevaluate the executive action from president donald trump toward the end of march it remains unclear if it will be reinstated so with trump essentially he he signed an executive order, I think, to cut the middleman out of the of the dealing with insulin and epinephrine. Considering insulin's been around for a very long time, Trump's pretty much saying that these big corporations were making a bunch of money and the middlemen were making a bunch of money off of the people themselves. They were the people they were paying pennies for it, and the and then they were selling it at a very high rate to the people. Now, Trump signed four executive orders in July that directed the Secretary of Health and Human Services to end a shadowy system of kickbacks by middlemen that lurks behind the high out-of-pocket costs many Americans face at the pharmacy counter. The department announced at the time, noting that they would provide Americans more options on purchasing the drugs. During the signing ceremony, Trump said the high price of insulin and EpiPens have cut low-income people in desperate need of the treatments. Uh, and Trump said, and I quote, The four orders I'm signing today will be on the prescription drug market in terms of pricing and everything else to make these medications affordable and accessible for all Americans. The first order will require federal community health centers to pass the giant discounts they received from drug companies on insulin and EpiPens directly to their patients. You know, insulin became so expensive, people were, weren't able to use it. They desperately needed it. <clears throat> it's actually hard for me to do the Trump voice because I haven't heard him speak in so long. So what he's essentially saying is you're trying to lower the price through executive fiat of some of these insulin prices and these EpiPen prices because people are getting ripped off that's what he's doing through executive fiat now if you think that is a free market decision by the federal government i'm not really exactly sure of it i'd have to know more about uh that market in particular if there really actually is some sort of monopoly and they're jacking the prices up on the people to an extent where it's an actual antitrust uh law uh we have it, and this is what Trump continues, we have it to a level that you're not going to believe. EpiPens, likewise, you have been hearing horrible stories about EpiPens over the last six or seven years. Horrible, horrible, horrible increases for where they went to not, almost nothing to massive amounts of money. We're changing that right now. Under this order, Trump added, the price of insulin for affected patients will come down to just pennies a day. Pennies a day from numbers that you weren't even able to think about it's a massive cost savings end quote so the way that he puts everything it's just you know it's a trump quote when he says horrible 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 and then when he says uh that you weren't even able to think about he just used these really weird ways of of portraying information uh so 
this this is a executive order that Trump went for. He tried to lower the price of EpiPens as well as insulin, which is much needed, especially the insulin, considering a very high percentage of Americans are diabetic because of our diets. And the the Biden administration is rolling it back now because I I don't know maybe they're in the pockets of the uh, of the pharmaceutical industry and big business. Wow, that's surprising. Who would have thought? Not me. Uh, Chinese media thinks. Oh, here. So this is what I have next. Next, I'm going to go into some China stuff. Uh, got a lot of Epic Times pieces, but first, I want you to see what the Chinese media, and remember who the Chinese media is run by. They are run by the Chinese Communist Party. It is a state media enterprise. Just check out what they think of Joe Biden in this clip. As President Trump leaves office, some authorities on the other side of the Pacific are celebrating. The Chinese regime state media is saying good riddance Donald Trump. The tweet included a link to an article saying good riddance, Trump administration and its final madness. The article slammed Trump's foreign policy, especially his punishing China over trade abuses, his sanctions against Chinese officials over human rights abuses and his support for Taiwan. It added China and the U.S. are now in a good position to help each other, saying, quote, U.S. policymakers in the future should not let this relationship be led astray by a small bunch of extreme forces. So it seems like the Chinese government's happy to have Joe Biden in there. They're very happy that uh, Trump is out, out of the administration and the office of the presidency of the United States. And they're happy. They're looking uh, they're feeling very positive of their future with a Joe Biden administration in there. And this is an article I have from the Epic Times. Now, the Biden administration is calling that China's sanctions of Trump officials unproductive and cynical. Uh, and then he's also talking about the sanctions that the that the Trump officials had on on China as well. And the opinions that they came out with saying that it was it was imposing these sanctions or playing partisan divides and all these other things and uh by zachary stiber this article is the sanctions were announced about 24 hours after pompeo declared the ccp's repression of uyghur muslims in jingzang a uh, region of genus a, a region a genocide oh so he, he was declaring them as genocide the reasoning for the sanctions was violated china violating china's sovereignty and carrying out a series of crazy moves that seriously disrupted china u.s relations imposing these sanctions on inauguration day is seemingly an attempt to play to partisan divides uh, Biden's NBC spokeswoman Emily Horn said in a statement to the news outlet, Americans of both parties should criticize the unproductive and cynical move. President Biden looks forward to working with leaders in both parties to position America to outcompete China. Uh, she added on the War Room podcast, Navarro, as in Peter Navarro, called the sanctions a, a badge of honor from the country that gave us the China virus and the loss of five million manufacturing jobs and other seventy thousand factories. Which is, I mean, that is that's huge. Uh, ultimately, what we need to do is stop American capital from flowing directly into China and indirectly through Hong Kong. He added, Pompeo said that after a careful examination of the facts, he determined that China under the direction and control of the Chinese communist party has committed genocide against the predominantly Muslim Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minority groups in Xinjiang. So, 
it seems like maybe the Republican and the Democrat Party is kind of on the same page as it relates to China, according to this article. So far from what we've seen, uh, China's sanctions, yeah, because this is saying in this article that the sanctions coming from China, the Biden administration, China's sanctions of Trump officials unproductive and cynical. So maybe they're kind of acting prudent in their dealings with they're being careful in their dealings with china we'll see what happens i mean we'll see what happens and then at the very end of this um and this is pompeo talking i believe this genocide is ongoing and that we are witnessing the systematic attempt to destroy uyghurs by the chinese party state and in this assessment he was backed by biden's and this is if you go to the piece and you read the epic times piece there's a hyperlink to this of the uh biden secretary of state actually backing pompeo on this agreeing with him surprisingly there's there maybe there might be something some sort of semblance that that both parties can agree on that china is a serious threat and then it states to end the party has for years detained uyghurs in labor camps in Xinjiang, a desert region that abuts russia mongolia and kazakhstan a u.s official said in a briefing in 2019 that up to 3 million to approximately 10 million uyghurs in Xinjiang are in concentration camps end quote so then at the very end here they also have a hyperlink to a actual report by researcher adrian zenz he has a report detailing the evidence found on a widespread campaign to sterilize uyghurs as the population of growth in Xinjiang has actually declined dramatically since 2015, so there's a lot of evidence of this, and it's in it's in his pretty deep report. I think it was something like 30 pages. I was just looking through, skimming through it myself. So that's pretty substantial. I like to I like to report on this. I like to report on all the stuff that's going on in China. I like to report on um this uh, an authoritarian regime like this because then this can be something that. This is something to be feared. Uh, this is something to be fought against. This is something that we should really be, we should be looking out for. And whenever it happens, whenever these, these inhumane acts that go on over in China, we need to point to that and say that is not us and that is not what we want. That is not the direction that we want our country going in. And that's why I think it's important to always uh, point to the misfailings and the inhumane acts that happen, the egregiousness over in china and speaking of of sterilizing and they also abort over in uh, china we have a clip of jen saki once again the uh secretary of the press asks when she's asked about the Hyde amendment in Mex mexico city policy two big concerns for pro-life americans the Hyde amendment which of course uh, keeps taxpayer dollars as you know from paying for abortions medicaid abortions and the Mexico City policy, which under the previous administration they expanded to keep the tax dollars from overseas paying for abortions. So what are President, what is President Biden planning on doing on those two items right now? Uh, well, I think we'll have more to say on the Mexico City policy in the coming days. Um, uh, but I will just take the opportunity to remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. Uh, he started his day attending church with his family this morning, um, but I don't have anything more for you. Well, that's a what a dodge. Um, so I'm very I'm perplexed with this this idea that saying that you are a devout Catholic and then allowing or or being a proponent of of abortion 
is somehow a somehow like a sanctimonious take. It's weird because how are you instead of answering the question, you say, "Well, I just want to remind you that he's a devout Catholic." So, okay, so let's, does that mean that he's against abortion because the Catholic teachings are against abortion? So, oh, he's not against abortion, but he's still a devout Catholic. No, you can't. You can't be both. You are either a devout, and I'm not even a cat. I'm not even a practice a person that is practicing uh, religion, but I am aware. I'm not like an extremely religious person, but I am aware that you can't you can't go against the doctrine directly against the doctrine and then still claim that you're part of the Catholic Church. You're not part of the Catholic Church if you if you are for abortion. It's one or the other. You can choose just choose one and saying, "Oh, I'm a de- de- devout Catholic," because that is not of the Catholic character to be pro-abortion. So you can't be a Catholic. What what these priests, these high priests, and these cardinals should not be accepting communion of Joe Biden until he retracts all of his abortion statements and all of his abortion proposed policies. And that's just, that's just a dodge. It's just a cop out. You can't, and I don't care what anyone says. Uh, yeah, you can't be religious. You can't, you can't sit there and preach the Bible and talk about how you are, uh, you believe in the doctrine and then you go directly. And I'm not talking, this isn't a small, this is not like a small sin. This is a pretty mortal sin. This is a pretty big deal. You can't just directly go against the doctrine and say, oh, well, I'm Catholic. I'm a practicing Catholic, so it doesn't matter. I could do whatever I want. It's not the way the system, that's not the way that works. And that's just a question of the Hyde Amendment, taxpayer-funded abortions. Uh, that is the Hyde Amendment, as well as the uh, Mexico City border, as in Mexico City abortions that are being paid by taxpayers as well. They're asking him, asking her if they're going to continue that policy because under Obama they did. And then I think Trump shut it down. I'm not 100% sure. So, uh, yeah, so to follow this up, I have an Epic Times piece. Uh, the White House announces it will codify federal abortion law. It is written by Masuma Haq. Uh, the Biden administration made the announcement in a press statement put out by the White House the Biden-Harris administration is committed to codifying Roe v. Wade and appointing judges that respect foundational precedents like Roe, uh, reads the statement. And it goes on, and I quote, In the past four years, reproductive health, including the right to choose, has been under relentless and extreme attack, it continues. We are deeply committed to making sure everyone has access to care, including reproductive health care, regardless of income, race, zip code, health insurance status, or immigration status, end quote. So really what you are, what you are committed to making sure everyone has is abortion, because there is there is no fight right now that's going on about reproductive health care. The reproduction has already been done. That act has already been done by the time you have the child. When the child when somebody gives birth, the doctor doesn't go, "Oh my god, they're reproducing." The reproducing was done 9 months before. Hopefully uh, the doctor was not present for that. <laughs> um now what we're looking at is it is not attacked on reproductive health care. That's a way that they codify it to to appeal to a base and, and to make it much more. They put better, nicer terms on it so people don't really uh, freak out over it. That's the point of this whole thing. The The Biden administration, what they're looking for is to codify Roe v. Wade, meaning they want to actually put some sort of legislation in federally protecting uh, abortions. And I don't know exactly at what point the abortions are protected under federal law. Any state can really have their own individual power to uh, 
under the way that this works. I mean, under under actual constitutional law, this should not work, but this is the way it works right now under the precedent set by Roe v. Wade is individual states have their have their power to regulate it as they see fit through legis certain legislative acts. Uh, now, the idea of reproductive health care, uh, killing your child is not reproductive health care. Reproductive health care to me would be like sonograms, things like things of that nature, mammograms or whatever you call them. Uh, getting prenatal care, that that to me is much more of a uh, rep reproductive health care character. That would make more sense. And I've said this before. I think there's a lot of conservatives that would actually be willing to fund Planned Parenthood out of our taxpayer dollars as long as they did not continue abortions. If they got rid of – if you completely eradicated and you took abortion and, – and this is the – when you when you ever want to actually dive into that, that very um, divisive, divisive argument with somebody or conversation with somebody over this, just say, okay, so – Here's the thing, I'm totally willing to keep, because usually it's, oh, well, Planned Parenthood has a lot of other services. That's the response you'll get. And you go, okay, I'm cool with all those services. Just get rid of the abortions. What about that? And then they still, they, they, they don't want that. So specifically, they want abortions. It's, it's not that they want the prenatal health care. They don't want all those other things. The abortions to them are paramount. They are number one priority above everything else. So that is usually how the conversation goes when you say, you know what, I am completely, I think there is a lot of conservatives that are actually willing to pay tax dollars into Planned Parenthood as long as they plan for parenthood and they are not aborting children and they're not killing children. As long as that's not going on, I think there's actually a lot of people that are willing to pay for prenatal health care for women. I think you'd be actually very surprised. But really the main, uh, the main objective here is to actually kill children. And then... I've covered this before, Breitbart News, when they found, um, I don't remember the exact name of the agency, when they undercover filmed a lot of these these abortion providers, Planned Parenthood workers, they were talking about how they were harvesting limbs off of uh, babies, essentially. It's pretty, pretty grotesque and disgusting stuff. Uh, so here I have a clip, and, and this is going to be what's coming down the pike for conservatives everywhere. There's a clip of John Brennan, former CIA director, and there's also been other people from the CIA that have been stating the exact same thing, what we're going to be doing with the domestic terror situation on our hands. Uh, play clip nine. The members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. And unfortunately, I think there has been this momentum that has been generated as a result of, unfortunately, the demagogic rhetoric of people that just departed government, but also those who continue in the halls of Congress. Anyone that doesn't know, uh, John Brennan is CIA, ex-CIA director under the Obama administration. He was known for, people call him a commie, I call him a commie personally. He's known for his police state tactics. He is now... Uh, lumping in libertarians with white supremacists and extremists and domestic terrorists, just being a libertarian alone, believing in freedom and liberty and uh, limited government action because he is a big government communist guy. They are now also considered domestic terrorists, which is just astounding at this point. And uh, it's not surprising coming from him. 
And there's a Glenn Greenwald piece that I have here. I'm going to leave in the show notes. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But he also goes on to talk about how alarming. And he is a liberal. He's a legitimate left liberal. Um, he, he goes on to talk about how this is very, very concerning coming from government officials as well. Uh, Ex-CIA director. There's other CIA officials that are talking about this as well. We are now looking at calls to spy or to expand the Patriot Act, which is unconstitutional to begin with because of the, the no warrant that's required to spy on people now through through uh, extended powers from the Patriot Act. And we're looking for an expansion of this, and now we're throwing libertarians under the label with white supremacy. So if you if you identify as a libertarian, what does that mean now? Does that mean you get spied on? That warrants you being spied on from the federal government because you're a libertarian and you believe in freedom and you have freedom-minded principles and 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 uh, values. Uh, man, it's it's sad, and the media is complicit. The media does not really care about any of this. There's very few speaking out about this, about the police state that's uh, currently in our midst. And here's another thing that I've that I've noticed is this has been called a white the January sixth called a white supremacist attack, white supremacy, white supremacy. Now I'm seeing things come out. I'm seeing things. Oh, this person got arrested. This person got arrested. But I'm actually not finding their ties to white supremacy. Uh, more than it, you can call them whatever you want, but they've been called, they've been deemed white supremacists. Why is it that there is not a mass amount of them, at least, let's say, at least a majority of them, coming out now? Information that all of them were connected to some giant, big white supremacist movement somewhere. Why is it that the information is coming out? Oh, they're getting, they're getting uh, arrested here. They're getting charged with this. Or, but I have yet to come out and see a mass bill saying, "Oh, look, this guy's, this guy's tied to this white supremacist group. This one's the what? Why is it that this was not? Oh, was it not actually a white supremacist movement? That's all my question is to everybody. And and Glenn Greenwald also goes into this. He had a pay, he had a piece written talking about Pollard and they were blaming the reason that Pollard was shut down is because on January 6th people that acted and, and rioted at the Capitol they all planned on Pollard apparently Glenn Greenwald did his own investigative journalism as a journalist is supposed to do and he found that this is uh fallacious it is it, it is not true it was actually much more was planned on Twitter than was planned on Pollard of these groups that uh rioted on Capitol Hill so that's an actual, that is a, a false, that is an erroneous statement. It is false. It is not rooted in any type of fact. And that is the reason that apparently Pollard got kicked off of every single network. So right now Pollard is going through lawsuits. I think that, I mean, it, hopefully if the courts hold up, I think they're going to win this whole thing just because of what, what Amazon did to them, what Apple did to them. It's, it's pure antitrust across the board. They're also acting as an enforcement wing of the Democrat Party and the government right now. So we're going to see what ends up happening on that. So next what I have, and this is my very last clip. I, I hate to um, to exhaust exhaust the points from Jen Psaki, the uh, press secretary, but I'm going to have this is her and what she thinks about what has been going on in Portland, Oregon. Play clip ten. President, have any comment on the ongoing violence in Oregon and Washington State that we've seen in recent days? 
Well, certainly we had our team uh, on the ground, our national security team, even uh, before 12.01, early in the morning um, on Inauguration Day because we wanted to be able to monitor uh, events happening across the country and any unrest that was um, resulting from uh, from uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, I haven't spoken with him specifically about those events, but it is something our national security team, Liz Sherwin-Randall, our Homeland Security Advisor, is closely monitoring, of course. Um, uh, as you've noticed through these through these videos of Jen Psaki speaking, she's actually deeply unimpressive in the way in which she handles the press, the way she uh, articulates herself. She's deeply unimpressive. You notice the ums. She says um, um, um over and over again, which no one likes to hear in a public speaker to begin with. And on this, she, she does not, she fails to condemn Antifa. She acts as if the people that are in Portland, Oregon right now, that are rioting and have been rioting for months at this point, and rioted on the night of the inauguration, saying something like, we don't want, we want retribution, or we want retaliation, or something like that. Uh, we're not happy that Biden is in office. We want retaliation, or so, something of that nature, they were saying. And they put up different posters and boards. And they're pretty much rioting in Portland. I had some video. I didn't want to show it because there's so much cursing. I have to pretty much blank the whole thing out. But as as this time will go on, I'm sure I'm not going to miss another opportunity because they, they consistently do this. This is something that they do every single night. So I'm not really missing anything here. Uh, but she, she fails to condemn them. And I think this will continue in this administration, which is weird because they hate Biden too. These, these Antifa rioters. And then the BLM's actually starting to come out. I'm seeing Sean King come out and say, the very first day of the, uh, the Biden administration, we're promised this, this, and this, and we're going to communicate with them, and they're not saying anything. So pretty much, uh, you guys sold us out, and we all voted for you, thinking you're going to do this, this, and this for us, and you have yet to even call us back and answer our, our messages. So you guys, essentially, you guys use this for a vote. That's that's pretty much with Sean King, the BL. He's like a big BLM leader guy. Uh, he's like a head of the organization, I guess. Uh, so that's nice to see. And I don't think there we're going to see a condemnation from, from the Biden administration. I don't, I don't know. I don't see the point in not condemning them at this point, considering they hate their guts too. They hate them just as much as they hate Trump from what it seems like. So we'll see what happens with that. But there's complete silence on that front, and there's a dodging of the question, and a, oh, well, making it as if there's Trump supporters out there doing that in Antifa, and, oh, from the events that happened two weeks ago, like, as if they're the same people. And that's for people that don't watch the media and watch what's actually going on in these big cities and watch the rioting. They just assume that it would be Trump supporters. That's the reason that she comes out and says something like that and subverts the question. Now, the very last article I have here, and this is a, a Bongino piece written by John Hawkins. It's titled, Democrats in the House are already working on forcing you to register your guns. So, it starts off. So, there's good news and there's bad news. Let's start with the bad news. The Democrats are com coming for your guns once again. Joe Biden is planning to ban the importation of assault weapons via executive order, and there are a number of gun control bills being prepared in the House. Democrats Al Green, Bobby Rush, and Sheila Jackson Lee are all working on bills. The worst of the bunch should be Sheila Jackson Lee's HR 127, which is designed 
to provide for the licensing of firearm and ammunition possession and the registration of firearms and to prohibit the possession of certain ammunition. They want to register your firearms. Incidentally, forcing people to register their weapons is also something near and dear to Joe Biden's heart. Biden has also called for forcing owners of assault weapons to register their weapons, and his campaign manager called for mandatory gun buybacks. So we're going to see some legislation coming down now. If if they're able to get rid of the filibuster, then we are actually in some serious trouble as, I guess, gun owners here. Um, mandatory gun buybacks, I can't see anybody doing it. I just cannot see the state police or local law enforcement knocking on people's doors, telling them to give their guns back to the government. And once again... People don't buy their guns from the government, so the so the government is not buying back the weapons. They're confiscating the weapons. I am uh, very willing to sell every single weapon I have that I bought from the government, which are none because I did not buy any weapons from the government. So uh, the guns, Democrats are coming for your guns yet again. Uh, the importation of of assault weapons they call it i don't even know what no one knows what they classify an assault weapon as it's to one person it can mean one thing to another it means something totally different uh the the assault weapon import the reason to do that is you now cannot get any new assault weapons into the country i guess maybe let's say for this case it's an era 15 now you can't get any era 15s imported into the country now if there's proprietary makers that are domestic around here uh which there are I'm not sure exactly how that one's going to go. I also read that Biden didn't want people to order them online. So essentially you have to go to a gun shop every single time you want to buy one, which makes it, it deters people from going because the prices and just to drive out there to see a very limited capacity because gun, uh, gun shop owners can only hold so much in their stores rather than order something specialized and get it sent to your, to your uh, local FFL and forcing owners to, to, uh, register their weapons so they're really working on some sort of gun registry now when you go to buy a gun and i had this conversation over the weekend with somebody uh when you go to buy a firearm you have to fill out paperwork they do a background check they know that you bought a gun or that there was a federal background check on you that's the only thing the government really knows now they would need an actual from what i understand maybe i could be wrong here but they would need an actual warrant to check on the, the logs at that ffl dealer of who bought what and how to trace it. There's an actual law enforcement system to this. There's a warrant that needs to be obtained. It isn't an automatic, automized online system where everything is registered. So if something is some sort of act is committed with that gun, they find the gun at the scene, then they have to trace it based on that serial number, and then they trace it back. They go to the manufacturer first, and then from there on, they go to the FFL, and then the FFL has all of the paperwork whether it is uh, in some sort of computerized system because they scan the paperwork or they actually have the physical copy of the paperwork, then they can find the person that bought the gun. So that's the way the system's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be automatic where you're in a you're in a uh, you are are in some sort of database and the reason for that is let's say let's say a guy goes and he buys he owns ten guns, but every single time he went to go buy the guns, he went twice to go buy guns but he bought five guns each each time so the government all they know is he has had two background checks but they don't know how many guns he has he could have 10 um now we would need the ffl dealers to be complicit 
in a gun confiscation from the government because the government knows, okay, well, this guy has this many. He is what we know. He's been background checked twice, so we know the least amount of guns he has is two as long as his background check came through good, which it should. Uh, so we know that the only he may have two guns, but we don't know actually how many. If we had gunshot, this is, this is the whole point. The FFL, if we see the government is asking, acting tyrannically ffl dealers can go in they can wipe their server clean and then from there they would shred all the evidence and then when the gun confiscators or the, the government comes down to go collect documents and information to know who is the uh who are the gun owners they wouldn't be able to <laughs> they'd be unaware but then i've also been reading things people have been saying that gun uh that FFL dealers have to send everything to the ATF, and then the ATF has to like sort through it and put it in some sort of cabinet. I don't know if that's true. I can't see that being true just because the amount of people that own firearms in the country, there's not enough space to store all the paperwork. And this one ends here. It says, of course, if your ultimate goal is to roll people with an iron fist, you need to take their weapons first. Moreover, if you want to confiscate weapons, then you need to know where to send the goon squads. That's why Democrats get so excited about the idea of registering weapons. It's a step towards one-party rule at the point of a gun. Democrats never quit, put it like that. Uh, no, never quite put it like that. But the farmer never quite tells the pigs why he's feeding them and giving them a place to stay either. Ideally, for the farmer, the Democrat, or the Democrat, that's the sort of thing the victim finds out the hard way when it's too late to do anything about it. So this is a pro, this is a pro Second Amendment piece. I think it's important. That's going to be a front that we're going to have to fight on over the next four years or over the next two years, depending on how the Congress goes at a midterm election. So that's important, uh, and that's that's really it for this one. I, I tried to keep it a little shorter than normal. It's probably about as long, no, about an hour long. So uh, I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Weekend special. I'm going to have the Federalist Paper podcast coming back out. I got Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Once again, 6 o'clock release on the podcast format. It releases at 5. And then on YouTube and Rumble, it releases at 6 o'clock. And then I think Facebook, too, I put it up there as well. So check that out, please. Uh like share subscribe if you were going to subscribe anywhere subscribe on rumble because i'm getting support from them i'm probably eventually going to get kicked off youtube for my opinions maybe even facebook at this point who knows and please also follow my page on facebook at the federal federalist files as well uh, tell people about the podcast pass the mic on to people because i'm unaware i'm unable to advertise at this point so it's the only way word of mouth is the only way that this podcast really gets around and whatever i post online if i get lucky enough to reach a couple people so thank you for tuning in i greatly appreciate it and enjoy your weekend i will see you on monday it's true.